0: In this short cast, Jared Druss and professors Nancy Potter and Judith Fridovich-Kyle discuss grip strength in patients with galactosemia and in a galactose-1-phosphate uridyl transferase GULT-Null-RAP model published in September 2023.
1: So we were concerned about grip strength because when I did a study that was published in 2013, we found decreased grip strength in dominant and non-dominant hands of children with classic galactosemia. However, the purpose of my initial study was to look at different types of speech disorders and look at possible contributors to speech disorders and characteristics of kids with classic galactosemia. So we were looking at coordination and strength, both in the speech mechanism and general decreases in strength across systems with hand and mouth.
0: And one additional thing just to add on. When I was doing literature review for this paper, I also found that grip strength is associated with a lot of problems, not only you know within galactosemia, but it's associated with risk for pre-diabetes, diabetes, type two, chronic kidney disease, a lot of other diseases and problems. So it just speaks to the clinical significance of, you know, reduction in grip strength.
2: So I think anytime you do a human subject study, especially if it's fairly small, if you want to know how generalizable is this, it's good to ask in an independent cohort of patients. And we were also a little bit concerned about the cohorts that Nancy had looked at because They all had speech difficulties, which is not universal for all patients with galactosemia. They were from an isolated geographic area, at least the controls were. And also the way they were tested, the cases were tested in a home environment and the controls were tested in a school environment. And we knew that that could have some effect on how the, the children behaved. So again, we really wanted to just do a replication and ask If we look at a separate cohort of kids close to 10 years after the initial study and we're testing them in a uniform environment where the controls are unaffected siblings of the cases and we're testing them all over a short period of time in the same room under the same conditions, do we see the same effect? So that was part of what we wanted to do. And then we also have this RAP model. And we thought, well, if this is really something to do with galactosemia, I wonder if we'll see it in galtonel rats. And so we tested grip strength in our galtonel rats.
0: Yeah. So to start, we tested people at the Galactosemia Foundation Conference in Orlando, Florida in 2022. And we tested cases, you know, as people with galactosemia and then controls who were unaffected siblings of those cases. And one thing to note with the Galactosemia Foundation Conference is that people normally come down as families. So oftentimes when we were testing cases and controls, we'd be testing, say, a family of five with three kids who are cases and two kids as controls. So we got a lot of clustering within families. And we tested people using the Jamar hand dynamometer, which is a grip strength meter that's pretty commonly used, not only in the context of clinical research and clinical trials, but also in physical therapy. So it's a pretty widely used and validated grip strength meter. And what we essentially asked people to do is just to curl their fingers around the grip strength meter, squeeze as hard as they could for three seconds, and then we would record the maximum value that they achieved as representative of their grip strength. And we did six trials of that for each person, three trials with their left hand and three trials with their right hand. And we looked at all those six trials and took the maximum value that they achieved in any of those six trials as representative of their grip strength. So that's how we did it in people. Now, in rats, it's a little bit more complicated because we used a couple of grip strength meters. The first one was a custom device designed by our lab. It is a horizontal grid on ball bearings that's resting on a smooth flat board. And what we essentially do is we lower the rat onto the horizontal grid and allow it to grip on with all four of its paws and then pull it by the base of the tail away from that horizontal grid. And as a rat's natural instinct to hold onto that grid as hard as it can and with as much force as it can. We gradually increase the force that we're pulling the rat off of the grid with until the rat's no longer strong enough to hang on to the horizontal grid and then it falls off. And we measure as their grip strength The maximum value with which they're resisting our pull, which is normally right before they fall off of the grip strength meter and they're no longer strong enough.
2: The custom device, it had a little spring scale attached to an immobile thing and then to the grid. So as the rat is clutching the grid and you're pulling back on its tail, that spring scale is getting extended. And so Jared would keep an eye on the spring scale and see how far it pulled before the rat let go.
0: And we also used as another grip strength meter, a Columbus Instruments device, and it operates under a very similar principle where you allow a rat to grip onto a grid and then pull it off. Really the only major functional difference between the two is that with the Columbus Instruments device, rats are gripping on only with their front two paws, not with all four, but really they're mostly very similar. So one thing we wanted to test was that the two grip strength meters are getting similar results and that they're overall getting reliable and reproducible results. So one thing that we did was we tested rats on one grip strength meter and then a few days later tested them on the other grip strength meter. And we wanted to see whether the two values were associated. And we found a very strong association between how rats would perform on one grip strength meter and the other. So, I think that just speaks to the reliability and reproducibility of the results that we did get with those two grip strength meters. So, there were a few findings that our results showed. Number one, we showed that there was a grip strength deficit in our cohort of patients very similar to the one seen in Dr. Potter's original cohort. Furthermore, we found that this grip strength deficit extended to our Galtonal rats so similar to how children with galactosemia tend to be less strong than controls, we also see that our galt-null rats tend to be less strong than our wild-type rats. In addition, we found that adjusting grip strength for body size, whether that's the weight of the person or the mass of the rat, largely accounted for the difference that we saw between case and controls in people and genotype in rats, which does show some evidence that the deficit that we see in galactosemia patients and galtonal rats may be a result of the growth delay rather than an independent phenotype. But it's still important to note that correlation doesn't equal causation. So just because there's this heavy association between the grip strength deficit and this growth delay doesn't necessarily mean that one causes the other, but still it offers strong evidence that the two may be related. And when we went back into Dr. Potter's data and looked at whether accounting for body mass would account for that grip strength deficit that we saw, we found one exception, which was that when you take into account mass in Dr. Potter's cohort of boys, it doesn't actually bridge this deficit that we see between the cases and controls. And going back to what Judy said earlier, this may be a result of the fact that Cases and controls were tested in different settings, that cases were tested in their homes, whereas controls were tested in a school environment near their peers. And we found some papers suggesting that there's this additional effect where boys that are tested in groups together in terms of physical strength, there tends to be more of an alteration in terms of that physical strength when they're in groups together. So there's a possibility that control boys being tested in the school environment may alter their grip strength in a way that's not necessarily tied to their genotype or to their body size or something of that nature. So it could be adding an additional effect.
1: May I add a postscript? When I tested the boys in the original study, they were tested separately. But the one number that boys wanted to know is what was their grip strength and became a bragging right That was the one number that the control boys hung on to and talked to each other about. The girls did not. They would ask what they got, but I didn't hear them in the hallway saying, yeah, I got a whatever number it was.
0: Um, And then one final finding, it was kind of a secondary incidental finding, but I thought it kind of spoke to the larger themes of the paper, was that when we looked at the growth delay in our Galt rats, we found that the delay in our males persisted longer than what we had originally thought when we looked at our original cohorts of rats. And I think that just speaks to the larger themes of the paper, which is that when you test for the same things, but in new cohorts, you can have novel findings.
1: So what does this mean for clinicians and their patients? Is that when we're looking at comparing a patient to norm's you need to consider that there are other factors other than just their diagnosis that make a difference. Things like you should adjust your strength measurements maybe for body size, not just for age and sex. It's very tempting to plot your findings against a norm, but sometimes there's other factors that that affect your finding. And for galactosemia, this means your child with classic galactosemia may not be as strong as they're typically developing peers, but possibly they're smaller in stature or they weigh less than other children their same age, and you need to consider that when deciding whether or not that's a finding that's significant. And our findings also further stress the clinical importance of a growth delay as it associates with additional important phenotypes and should be accounted for when identifying other potentially related phenotypes. And this has to do with what we would recommend for therapy. So yes, the children with classic galactosemia compared to their peers had decreased strength. But when we focus just on strength and thinking, if I increase the strength, then we will increase their functional outcomes, that doesn't often work because working on an isolated skill like strength is really only appropriate when it is apparent that this decreased strength is limiting a functional skill. It's impairing something that they really want to be able to do or something that's functional in their life. And so it's important to consider that working on an isolated skill may not generalize to everyday activities. If you make their hands stronger, it may not make their writing better. It may not make them more coordinated. It may not improve the functional outcomes. So just thinking that that was a good goal because the strength was decreased doesn't make it a good functional target.
2: If you'd like to read the paper, please click the link in the podcast description or go to the JIMD website. Thank you so much for listening.